It was one of the desks reserved for academics, but today two nuns used it. Two nuns who kiss. The Rules Upheld by No One by Amy McNee. Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I am Diana, and this is the Strange Love Book Club. A podcast where we talk about queer books. And today is a very special episode because we are joined for the first time with a real-life author, Amy McNee. Amy, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thanks for, you know, looking at the your DMs and seeing that I messaged you. <laughs> um, yeah, we are very honored to have you here today. And I think I speak for both of us when I say we really, really love the book. Um, I'm obsessed yeah. with it. <laughs> so really good. <laughs> Especially it's because... So... Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just so lovely speaking to people who've actually read it and, you know, to get to... It's just such an honor to get to talk about something that I created and that other people get to read. It's such a, it's a new experience for me with my fiction. And it's just, it's so beautiful. I'm very, very grateful to be here. Yeah, it's really awesome um, because, and this was kind of my first question to you, which was for mm. people who don't know you, um, what what do you do? You do a lot of things. What do you do? do. Um, yeah. And what is your book about? Beautiful. Well, I'm an author and a creative coach and a book doula. So I write both nonfiction and fiction. And my nonfiction looks at the creative journey, supporting creatives as they, you know, chase their calling and make the art that they want to make. Um, so I've written a lot of books about, you know, procrastination, perfectionism, burnout, and and just like the wild and wondrous journey that is being a creative. But my actual art and craft is fiction writing. So this is my first published fiction novel. Um, so it's historical fiction. It's called The Rules Upheld by No One. Um, and it's 16th century, histfic, queer, romance. It's a lot all in one. Um, and it's basically a, a falling from grace story about a woman who starts as a highborn lady who then ends up as a nun and then ends up in sex work. Um, and it focused, I definitely used a lot of my own journey through life as inspiration to tell Elizabeth's story. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and you know, it's so funny because I have been following you on Instagram for so long that, and you've mentioned here and there, you do focus a lot on, you know, creative coaching but you've mentioned mm. here and there, oh, this is what my book is about. Like, it's not published, like, whatever, wherever you were in your journey. Yeah. But like, so like, I have known sort of like that pitch that you just gave for the book for so long. So it's like <laughs> almost like a surreal moment actually getting to like read the book and kind of be like, holy shit, like what I imagined this was going to be is like completely different than like <laughs> the reality. And it, it was, it was, it was really brilliant. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. It was it was written maybe four years ago now. Um, and I'm so excited that it's now out in the world. And as I said, it's just so nice to talk to people about her because she's been with me for such a long time. So I'm just so excited to dive in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, so that kind of leads to my next question. Um, yeah. So how did you come up with the idea for the story and what led you to writing this novel? Okay. So at university, I studied medieval history and I specialized in sex work, uh, medieval pornography and medieval sex culture. Super niche, That's but really cool. super fascinating. Um, 
And so obviously like so, so many stories, so many ideas, like they were obsessed with sex back then, like almost ironically more than we are now because they had so many laws, uh, so many, you know, there was the society was kind of constructed around trying to keep everyone sexually pious, um, which kind of makes it all the more obvious when you've got these, you know, incredible juicy stories that are appearing in court records everyone's going to court because they you know had sex that wasn't in missionary position like the laws were ridiculous at one point in I think it's York uh three quarters so like yeah three quarters I think it's like 30,000 people were taken to court in a year for a sexual deviancy like everyone was getting pulled up for um, breaking these sexual laws. And I studied them. And obviously, it was just filled with stories. And I was like, I just, I really want to write a book about this. Um, And then I used kind of a lot of my own story. I I came from a very religious uh, environment, went to Catholic school, grew up in a religious household. And I really wanted to tell a bit of my story too. So using, you know, the wild and wondrous real stories from history, and also using my own experience, um, growing up with so much shame around my sexuality, um, wanting to hide it, not knowing how to express it. And I kind of blended the historical and personal and this book was born. You know, Amy, I did not know you were raised Catholic. Um, but it's <laughs> funny because Caitlin and I were as well. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's why the book. Yeah, really definitely. <laughs> I've been hearing from a lot of readers who come from Catholic and religious backgrounds, but specifically Catholic as well. My family went Catholic, but I went to a Catholic school. Um, And yeah, it's so interesting hearing everyone's stories. And for a long time, I I felt like, oh, this book is like, it's not that revolutionary. We're so much more open about sex and sexuality now. Like, I was like, do we even really need this book? But, you know, listening to so many people messaging me, having read the book and and seeing a part of their own story in Elizabeth's has been so reassuring. and, And I feel like we still do really need to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think the book is like, really about like autonomy and like personal choice, like throughout, like it was really, really um, like interesting to see that. And I think one of the reasons why the book resonated or just like really, it came when I read it, came to me at such like an interesting time was because I don't know if you've been keeping up with this in America, but um, Texas just passed Mm, and like stated this abortion ban. Um, And so it was kind of like, exact same time I'm reading this book and I'm like god like these issues obviously not the you know exploration of sexuality versus Mm. abortion rights are not overlapping but not the same thing but like I was like god these issues like are still here and like the 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 like the way that the church is involved in that is like oh my god yeah it is still so present and we have obviously made you know we aren't living in 16th century europe but we we still see like it's, there's a hangover from it 100 percent. we are not free from the binds that held us back then it's really yeah it's very very much still here yeah it's almost the book is almost like a prologue to like many stories we have today yeah um, i love that written about these same issues um yeah it's really cool um well i have another question for you and it's basically the most important question I'm going to ask the entire time, which is, I realized that this book takes place in the 16th century, like you said, mm. and the culture was different then. We talked about things differently then. But if Eliza, the main character, was around in 2021, do you think she would identify as queer or bisexual? 
based on you as the author, <laughs> what your thoughts are? <laughs> yes, definitely. She's definitely a queer character. And it was really interesting writing a queer character in um, a time period where that just didn't exist. Like even the concept of being a lesbian, just basically they couldn't comprehend it. Like they understood um, gay men and they could see that what was happening there. But the thought of two women being together, like they couldn't comprehend it back then. They were like, how could this happen? Like it was so fallacious they were so obsessed with the male being involved in sex that they literally their minds couldn't even compute there being two women together even though obviously um it's filled you know history it's hard to find um women being with women throughout that time of history but it definitely happened but it just wasn't written about it wasn't understood so the concept of queerness um and being gay or bisexual just it wasn't it wasn't a concept that could be even like thought about because it just didn't exist but if Elizabeth was in this time yes most certainly she would be queer and I think yeah she probably would identify as bisexual I love that bisexual I got really excited um when she kissed other nun I was like this story was also already cool I was like this is so cool (laughs) I love her and Constance's story I think it is I don't know it was almost my favorite part of the book to write it was just They're just such beautiful women. You know, it was so great because, like I said, I've kind of, like, been lurking on your Instagram, like, kind of knowing that this book was eventually, hopefully, going to come and be published. Um, Mm. And for some reason, I got it in my head. I was like, I think the main character is, like, not going to be straight. I (laughs) didn't actually said anything that would, like, necessarily give that away. But I think she's not going to be straight. So when we got to that part where Constance was introduced and like how their relationship developed, I was like, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> You've got like some special senses that just go yeah. off. You're like, I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it was my honestly, it was probably my favorite part to write and nunneries and history have just been this incredible queer space, especially for women. And it was just so fun and indulgent to get to play around in this space, which was just a space for women. And yeah, I loved it. I loved writing it. Did you always intend to have her have this relationship with another nun? Or was that something you kind of discovered as you were writing? I always intended it. Um, I just, I, I saw it. I, I, when I was studying a lot of the history, um, there was always, you know, this undertones of, oh, the nuns were getting in trouble for sleeping in the same beds and nuns were getting in trouble for sleeping without clothes on in the same beds. And they were always like, that's what they got reprimanded for. Again, like with that inability to see what they were actually doing. I just didn't want to acknowledge that it could happen. And I just thought it was just this wonderful secret bit of history that needed to be told and also from my perspective as someone who is also bisexual like I wanted to tell that part of my story as well um and so yeah it had to happen I love how um this is just a side note but I love how Eliza like kind of reaches a point where she's like you know what like things are so (laughs) corrupt like I might as well like kiss this other nun like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know I think that was a real part in my journey as well when and when you grow up in like a religious space and when especially when you're younger and you're a kid or early teenage years and you're like everyone's so pious like nobody thinks about sex like nobody you know does anything wrong and then you realize that these really are the rules upheld by no one and everyone has these stories and you know everyone's battling you know with these rules about sexuality in the church 
And for me, it definitely got to a point I was like, no one is, no one's doing what they're saying they're doing. Like, why should I do it too? (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. (laughs) Mm. Do you think attitudes around sex work have changed in any profound way between Elizabeth's time and our own? Um, What was it like exploring the topic of sex work in the story? This is where we have had the least movement. Honestly, we still have so much prejudice around sex work today. Like, um, this is definitely the space in which we have the least progress um, in terms of we might even have more positive uh, connotations around sex work back then because they were really a very visible part of society and they were a very uh, not respected, but it was like they were needed. Um, whereas today we still have so many taboos around sex work. Um, you know, even with people who are more liberal minded, we still have this like really aggressive stance against sex work. Um, so this is definitely where I see the least movement having happened. And I, I, I'm not a sex worker. Um, I worked with a sex worker um, to put this book together and I had it read by a sex worker. Um, and just hearing, you know, their stories, you know, it, there really hasn't been a huge amount of progress for them. They're still so um, discriminated against really today. Mm-hmm. What was the experience like with working with a sex worker to try and like tell this story like did you have Mm. sort of like preconceived notions of what that experience would be like and then it was turned out to be wrong or were you guys kind of on the same page what was that like it was it was a it was a really great experience I um they're also a writer and um I knew them from university actually um and they definitely pulled me up on a few things. I really wanted to make sure that the experience for Elizabeth was empowering, but without glorifying sex work in the terms of I didn't want it to be, you know, unrealistic because there are obviously realities as there are with any work um, of sex work that are slightly darker. She reigned in a lot of my, um, I had a bit more violence. She reigned that in. Uh, and she also was historically very knowledgeable as well. Um, and just understanding that it wasn't probably as violent as, you know, you might imagine. And as we see in like popular culture, like, you know, sex workers getting stabbed and murdered and left, right and center. Um, there is an incident like that in my book, but I definitely peeled it back. And she suggested that, you know, that is often how we um, kind of that's how popular culture often wants to see sex work as like, this dangerous, violent space. Uh, and she really reined me in there. Yeah, and I think you do, speaking of that, like, moment of violence in the story, I think Mm. what, like, you really accomplished with that was, like, kind of showing that, like, this isn't perhaps the typical thing that happens, right? Mm. Like, this is abnormal, but there's something, Mm. like, larger going on, I would say, like, around power, like, the power structure in place, that that is allowed to happen, um mm. and like why these women aren't like always put in safe positions um so like mm. lear- learning that little tidbit is actually really interesting that like they kind of yeah like told you to rein it in a little bit um yeah yeah it was really interesting I definitely learned a lot from them it was it was, it was so fascinating getting to collaborate like that yeah that's really cool so I was wondering um you already kind of touched on this but I was wondering if you had anything else you'd like to share um pertaining to how you've talked about how this is kind of your story as well. This is a story a lot of people Mm. can resonate with. Um, If like where you you kind of see 
like in society in general or in your own life, like really direct like parallels, if that makes sense. Yeah. I asked that very poorly. Um, no, no, I understand what you mean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. Um, obviously, for me, um, the first part of the story, which is, you know, she's a, a daughter of a lord and lady. And that for me really reflected, you know, me and my good little Christian girl stage, you know, going to church, obeying the rules and this like, um, like desperate, like exhausting, the effort that I went into not thinking about sex was like incredible, you know, because I, and I remember really clearly one day in church, someone like there must've been some kind of, I'm, I'm guessing it was like the preacher saying something like, if you think about sex, you've already like lost your virginity. And I remember that line, like being in my head and I was like, oh my God, I've thought about sex so much. Like, I'm like, I'm like a mind slut. Like I've fucked so many people in my mind. I'm like, I'm done. And that thought consumed me. And I put so much effort into just not thinking about it and like how exhausting and also like how deeply unfair. And that's for me was really shown in Elizabeth in the beginning, you know, she's doing everything she fucking can not to think about how much she wants her tutor. Um, and also the, the, um, the masturbating scene in, um, in the beginning as well. Like we still, and we're getting so much better, but like female masturbation, like, fuck, that was a shame topic for me for so long. And we are seeing so much more discourse around it. Um, like we're buying more sex toys ever than before. Like it's really, we're talking about it on social media, like it is really changing. Um, but for me, that was a huge, huge source of shame when I was younger. And that's definitely reflected in that kind of first part of the book. Do you think Constance would be happy to know that we live in a world where sex toys are- Oh my God. <laughs> way and more- they're not wooden anymore. <laughs> All I can think about is the wooden dildo. I'm like, I hope it was really polished, like really polished. <laughs> was that, um, um, did you come up with that? Or was that like something from history? No, they really, really did find wooden dildos in nunneries. There was, you know, I think, and they, it's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. And I should say, so I, um, right when the pandemic hit, I was set to um, study abroad in Oxford and I ended up doing oh. the classes virtually. Um, but one of the classes I took was um, women in me- medieval Europe. And so it's very Love. funny because we really focused a lot on like noble women. And like we did a whole week on like Joan of Arc, like very specific stuff. And I'm like, man, where are the nuns? Like, where, where, why aren't we talking about like the nuns and the like absolute like ridiculous things that they're like getting up to in those nuns? Yes. And there's so them. much of it. It's, I often want to like, you know, when someone's like, oh, I'm reading it, it's really interesting. I want to like sit by their side and be like, that's real. That's real. Like the story at the beginning with Joan in her, you know, the, a woman who's being shamed for having a threesome um, and she's been wrapped in a sheet and made to stand out the front of the church. That's a real story. And she was really found in her apron, just an apron, naked but an apron, sitting by the fire when the authorities came to get her and she had a different man in every room. <laughs> and, um, and then they made her stand in front of a church in just a sheet uh, for everyone to shame her as they went to church. And there's just so many of these stories in history that really is, you know, and these are just these women, like, I'm just so honored to get to tell a bit of their story. Yeah, like, I think this was kind of a question Caitlin had as well. Um, Well, these were all questions we both had. I I just don't know how to shut up. But um, (laughs) like, we were very curious about kind of like, 
the research process in general? Like, how did you know when you wanted to include something like an actual person that mm-hmm. that we we know about historically? Um, like, when did you have to rein it in? Like, how did you make mm-hmm. what was the research process like with that? I, obviously, I was so lucky because I had studied so much. So I had a lot of resources already, um, a lot of books about the topic. And I just basically, I don't have it on me, but it's like a big file. And I hand wrote all my research. And I just pulled everything that I thought was interesting or relevant. And I wrote it down into this big research book. And then I went through with a highlighter of stuff I knew I wanted to have in the book. And a lot of the information is just, you know, supporting the integrity of the world. Um, but other things are like, you know, I've got, I've taken stuff straight verbatim from people's books and used them as words in the, in my own book. Like there's a, um, a great line, um, from Eddie Elizabeth's little sister. And he's, he's looking at, he's blown his nose and he's looking at the, the contents of his handkerchief. And his tutor says, don't look at that as though jewels have descended from your brains or something like that and it's just it's real that was from the book of manners and they're like talking about how you shouldn't look at your snot when you blow your nose and that's like a 15th century text I'm like how could I not use this so I just yank it over put it in the book and there's lots of little tidbits like that and I literally just went through with a highlighter I was like I want that I want that I want that and when I was writing I just flick through and be like could I use this here could I use that there I love that it's really made me, um, between your book and I've read a couple other like queer historical fiction novels, which like, mm. who knew that that was such like such a big genre, but um, <laughs> I've read several this year and like between those and your book, I'm like, man, I got to write a historical fiction novel. Oh my God, yes. But the it's research. So... Yeah. It's like so beautiful. It is, it is a lot, but it's also fucking wonderful. And like, it's really fun. And it, it is an extremely imaginative process because it keeps triggering new stories when when you're reading a new piece of information you're like oh what if this could happen what if that could happen it's a really good way to ideate uh diving into the research and I actually think it's much easier like I've written a fantasy novel before and like making it all up for myself felt way harder than like constantly being inspired by history yeah that's really cool (laughs) this leads me into my next question this is something I've always wondered. Okay, so like when did people start using curse words like fuck? Like was that like people were using that in like medieval time? That's like Caitlin's like most important question. That is my most important question. <laughs> I'm really interested in that because I just never know. Like when did these words come out? Um, okay, so this was a, a big part of the contention of my book um, because I have a very modern tone of voice. And mm-hmm. Uh, with editors that looked at it and even publishing houses that looked at it they really couldn't deal with how modern it sounded but fuck would have been used back then it might not have been used in the way that I use it because I use it as such an expletive but it was used um to talk about sex okay and I think I'm not do I say this because I'm only 50% sure I'm pretty sure it comes from uh a word that was used when people were put in the stocks um, and it was a, like an abbreviation for something when you put someone in the stocks. It was like an, a, a word that you used towards people in the stocks. Mm-hmm. That's a 50% accurate sentence. You know what? You mean, I've, <laughs> said, I've said sentences that are way less than 50% accurate on this podcast. So it's fine. <laughs> okay, great. Everyone can take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Everyone else can go Google that and see. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do some research. Let the fans know afterwards. I really um, liked using that language. And I really liked using a modern tone of voice because I wanted to tell 
I wanted to blend our eras and to make us recognize just how close we are to these women who lived, you know, 500 years ago and how, you know, yeah, things have changed, but also things really haven't changed. And I, I liked using modern-ish language to tell an old story because I felt like it connected us. Yeah, I yeah, really liked I- it. I was just gonna say I really struggle to read historical fiction just because Mm. like when it does have like a really like old kind of like tone of voice yeah I'm I have a short attention span yeah I really like you kind of like blended that modern into it because it made it much easier to read for me yeah yeah and all the books that I've written since kind of written I've written two more historical fiction or I'm writing two more historical fiction I've used the same voice and I love it I really enjoy it Mm -hmm. and it might not be for everyone but I think it's a really interesting and accessible way to read historical fiction yeah. yeah, that is exactly what I was going to say is that I feel like it just makes it so much more accessible. And the thing mm. about historical fiction is like you are, at least I am always like learning a lot just about like the culture of the time exactly. period, the experiences of the people. And so like, why wouldn't we want to make that as, as accessible as possible to people? Totally. So I'm all for it. Thank you. When I did my final copy edit, I did it with an amazing queer editor. She, um, she was just incredible. And she she did actually, that you can tell that some of the language is um, of the time. And she went through and she uh, kind of sprinkled in language of the time um, into a lot of the dialogue, which I appreciated. So there definitely is a blend. Um, and another thing that um, Kate did, my editor, was that uh, in the original version of the story, uh, the, at the very end, spoilers, P.S. spoilers. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> um, it was going to be her mother that came to see her to drop something off. And I was speaking to Kate, my editor, and she was like, I just have to see Constance come back. Like, I cannot bear to have Constance just leave the story. And so I changed it so that it's Constance at the end. So the hope of something more evolving was always going to be there. Wow. Wow. I can't believe you just told us that. <laughs> like, we're trying to avoid spoilers, so I'm not going to ask about the end. Like, I really want to know like what her thought process was when Constance came back, because that mm. was just, that was such an interesting moment. Um, mm. And I loved how you like, I felt like you walked like this line of like, she had this very special relationship with Constance, and she also has this very mm. special relationship with Sam. Um, I just really love that. Was that difficult to kind of like, you know, she, I feel like she's kind of in love with, two, if I yeah, can use she that is. Word, in love with two people at one time. Was that difficult to write? For me, I, it wasn't. I, I felt like I was in love with both Sam and Constance at the same time. And to me, I didn't feel, it didn't feel difficult for me. And so I don't think it felt difficult for Eliza. She's also like moving through so much, like, you know, she's already dealing with the fact she's, you know, very attracted to a woman and she's, you know, she's having sex with men. Like she's like having to comprehend so such a different part of who she is that the fact that she has extreme feelings for both of them just almost doesn't even register. <laughs> and also because Constance and Sam are both such flexible people, um, there's no tension there. Well, you know, you mentioned that kind of having that part at the end of the book um kind of teases like future possibilities Mm. and a question I did want to ask you was if we were to get I don't know a sequel set (laughs) 20 30 years in the future what would Eliza's life look like that is such an excellent question I think Sam and Constance are definitely in her life maybe a few other people I think they're just, they're completely and utter rebels. And I hope that Elizabeth's little rebel heart only gets stronger and stronger and she just continues to break more and more rules. Um, 
and support more and more people who have been chucked out by the system. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing like some kind of like house, they're all there, maybe a few more. I don't know. <laughs> Something wild. I love that. The, the, the sky's the limit, really. Yeah, really, honestly, she can do what she wants. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Caitlin, do you cool. have another question? Yes, I have another question. Um, so what do you hope that people will feel or learn by the time they finish reading this book? I want people to feel seen, especially for those who um, who have, you know, this kind of story or a similar story to feel seen. And I really like what Diana said about like how it's a story of autonomy. I want people to feel as though they have that autonomy to choose themselves and to chase desire and to separate themselves from what's expected of them and to really listen to what it is that you want and to divorce shame from that desire and just allow yourself to chase it. Um, which is funny because that's what I talk about so much with creating, you know, like if you call to create, chase it and, and divorce that shame. And Elizabeth too, I really want the rules upheld by no one to um, empower, feel people to feel empowered to chase what it is that they want. Wow, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think that was kind of all of our questions. Amazing. I asked one more question. Of course. Um, so what was the publishing process like for this? Because you said you talked to some publishing houses. Yeah. Did you self-publish this? Like what, what yeah, I did. I self-published. So when I finished this book about four years ago, um, a publishing house were interested in it. And they picked it up and you know, it was just so much to chat. They were like, oh, 2020 release, we'd love it, blah, blah, blah. And then it just like faded into the distance and they, they wouldn't reply to my emails. It just like, they just blanked me. They were like, we haven't said yes, we haven't said no. And to this day, they haven't said yes, haven't said no. Um, and it just went into the background. And I was really, it was really, it was quite traumatic for my little creative self because I had so much hope. I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, I get to, you know, I get to connect with the story. I get to, you know, be the author that I wanted to be. And of course I was always still waiting as well because they didn't give me the no. I was like, okay, well, I've just got to, it was just a very, it was a difficult time after that. So I kind of uh, shelved the rules upheld by no one. I kept writing, but I was like, oh, we've just got to kind of wait and see what happens. Um, obviously they just, they didn't, I didn't want it. They had problems with the genre. They didn't like the modern tone with the old world <laughs> um so I think maybe that was the thing that put them off in the end and then I just had to move through that feeling of rejection um and I had to come to a place where I was like you know I really want this book to be out in the world um and I need to pick myself I was really over um the process of you know giving my whole soul to these people and having them you know pretend to read it um and reject me which is so often what a lot of the publishing processing looks like. So I decided after a really long and angry kind of process, I was like, well, I'm just going to fucking pick myself. And uh, it took a lot of encouragement and support. I ended up um, employing a wonderful woman uh, who kind of acted as though she was my publisher. She did all the behind the scenes. So I didn't have to like do the kind of admin side of publish self-publishing because that was something that was really a resistance to me. I was like, I want to be supported through this. And a reason why I wanted to be traditionally published was I really wanted to feel supported through it. Uh, you know, and like someone was, I had my back and someone was going to do all the kind of boring shit. I didn't want to do that. I was really like stubborn about it. I was like, no. So I picked myself and I paid someone to do the behind the scenes work. And now we have a book baby out in the world. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad that you ended up self-publishing because I loved this book and I'm glad that we got to read it. Thank you, Caitlin. It makes me so happy. I just ditto. I just, I can't, (laughs) after years of watching you like talk about these rejections, Mm. like you're almost kind of like, all right, like let's check this out. Like what's going on here? And then you're reading it and you're like, how could they like not even, (laughs) not even like respect you enough to just be like, hey, here's what's going on. You know? know. It is hard. Mad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. that. (laughs) it is a brutal brutal process and we have to be so careful with ourselves um anyone who's in any kind of gatekeeping relationship it can be so so hard on your little soul yeah well i i know i said we didn't have any more questions but i no please i've got time just go for it (laughs) um and my question is is you've mentioned you've written other books um or that Mm -hmm. you are, are writing your third book since eliza um can we expect more queer characters? Oh, baby, yes. yes. Every single book I've written so far is is a queer story. Um, this one that I'm writing right now is about um, a girl named Jack who um, has been raised um, as a boy. And uh, she is very, very queer. And again, like, it's interesting navigating a space where, you know, trans issues just wouldn't even have been comprehended, but there are, you know, beautiful trans stories, um, you know, that come out, but just in disguise from the 16th century. Uh, so that's going to be a beautiful queer story about, um, it's, an, it's a murder mystery, historical fiction, and Jack is solving a murder. <laughs> that's awesome. That is um, so exciting. I know, I love it. It's so cool. It's so much fun to write. Um, and then Maud, which is, she's already finished, so she'll be my next book, uh, is a story about witchcraft and women in who have been rejected by from society. And often women, women loving women were ostracized as witches or as, you know, supernatural uh, so that's that story. I'm excited to share that one. That is awesome. So it's okay if you don't want to answer this, if you're yeah. keeping it a secret, but like, can we expect that book anytime soon? <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, you know, she's really basically done. So this is just about you kind of shaping her up, seeing if I can get a fucking copy without spelling errors. I'm guessing you guys got <laughs> the special edition, I'm calling it. <laughs> the first round of print was so unbelievably spare, spelling errory. Like, I can't believe it. Um, but yes, so I've probably just got to do a big copy edit and then decide when to launch it. So yes, yeah, she can be expected, you know, maybe an early 2022 situation. Awesome. This is the so best good. news. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Diana. It is exciting. Well, maybe um, when that book is published, we'll have you back on again. Please, I would love that. (laughs) I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Time to close out the show. Oh, actually, Amy, where can people find you? Amazing. Um, You can find me on Instagram, and my handle is inspired to write. Um, And you can find me on my website, which is just my name, and you can spell it A-M-I-E-M-C-N-E-E. So it's just amymcnee.com. And you can also, I've got a podcast as well, which is called Unpublished. Nice. And can we order your book from anywhere? Oh, yeah, my book. We've got to get on this. Um, Yeah, so you can get my book from basically any online bookstore. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, she's everywhere. Just type her into Google and you'll find her. (laughs) Awesome. That's exactly how we want her. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys.
Awesome. Well, this has been another episode of Strange Love Book Club. Caitlin, would you like to let them know where they can follow us? Yes. So we are on um, Instagram and TikTok. We are at Strange Love Podcast. That's it. That's, it. <laughs> That's all we got for you guys. Thanks for listening. Go gay rights. Go gay rights. <laughs>